freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. On Seattle Sports. What we're going to do, you are a man of Don't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Yep, hello, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. And we are getting ready for Seahawks. Game number one on Sunday. How about that? The NFL season now underway. We do have some Mariner stuff over the course of the morning as well. And yes, we'll have some open phone lines at 930 where you can jump in, talk about whatever it is you want. But Brady Henderson's in here, the hitman. Brady Henderson, former uh, SeattleSports.com. Uh, I, I can't even say employee. I mean, he ran the damn site. And uh, Seahawks reporter from ESPN.com and a uh, good friend. Hi, Brady. What's up, Mike? Well... It's football season. After yeah. all of this wait, after all the conversations and the storylines and everything else, we finally get a chance to see this team on Sunday. I guess I would just start fairly simply. What do you expect to see when we finally get them out under the lights? Well, one of the interesting things that I think you're going to see is this defense is going to run a lot of nickel and even more dime than you might expect. I think this is going to be a heavy defensive back oriented defense. Uh, which sort of seems counterintuitive to the idea of a team that was terrible against the run last season, and you would think that you would want more big bodies out there, but they trust what they have in terms of the guys in the back end being able to tackle, and I think that is going to be a theme that a lot of people are going to notice this season with with the Seahawks, is that that defense is going to be pre-oriented towards the back end. So they're going to play the NFC West, obviously. San Francisco is going to want to run the ball. Arizona's, I'm not even sure, an NFL football team, but San Francisco's going to want to run the ball. The Rams can run the ball. I mean, uh, despite some of the other problems they have, they can probably run the ball a little bit. They're going to play the AFC North, so that's four games. Talking about Cleveland, who runs the ball, and Pittsburgh, who runs the ball, right? Then you're talking about the NFC East. Giants certainly run the ball. Washington can run the ball a little bit. They don't have much at quarterback, right? Dallas wants to run the ball all the time. Philly can run the ball. So I hear you say that. (laughs) Is that like a real, can that work? Uh, Yeah, I I think so. I mean, look, this is where Brock is better suited to answer these kind of questions than me because he's the X's and O's expert, but it's going to have to work. And and look, I I do think that this run defense is going to be better last year, in part because, frankly, it can't get a whole lot worse than it was. It was, you know, by one metric, the third worst uh, rush defense in the NFL. But I think between the personnel upgrades that they made up front, I think start there. I think that's going to make a big difference. But then also, you know, Clint Hurt kind of talked about this yesterday. Is part of their issue last season was, and he didn't say this part, but it obviously was the personnel. But the other part of it was guys had trouble adjusting to the the scheme change. Remember, mm-hmm. it was more a lot more three four than they had ever done. A lot more split safety looks than they had ever done. And there was just some issue with guys getting accustomed to the new run fits and they just you would think that you'd be able to get that ironed out a over the course of an off season but then in season as well and they just weren't able to do that so uh it's never really one thing we always as media people want to point to the one thing that caused it it was really a bunch of things uh and another thing was that they didn't have Jamal Adams back there and as much as we talk about him being a big difference maker 
as a pass rusher when he's right. I think he could be a big difference maker against the run, especially now that he's going to basically be playing weak side linebacker for a lot of the time. It's a football Friday here brought to you by Snoqualmie Casino Sportsbook. It's interesting, Brady, as you kind of kind of walk through some of the differences. And I think it's been a little harder for all of us because we didn't get to really see the defense in the preseason at all. Right. I mean, when I start thinking personnel, I realize, okay, hold on. Their entire defensive line is new. Right. I mean, literally all three guys that are going to start on the defensive line weren't here a year ago. Are they huge upgrades? I don't know. We'll wait and find out. But none of them were here a year ago. So that's going to be different. Your middle linebacker is going to be Bobby Wagner. That's different. Right. That right there is a gig- I mean, that's four guys that are as instrumental in stopping the run as anybody that are all brand new. And how many snaps did those four guys play combined in the preseason? A couple, three. Right, I mean, Bobby didn't play at all. I think Draymond Jones played one series. I think in the second game, right? One series, I, we got yeah. to see a little bit of Jaron Reed and a little bit of uh, of Mario Edwards, but other than that, like that foursome didn't play once together. Is that a good thing? Is that a concern? Like, what do you make of that? Well, it, it is. It is. I mean, you, I think a lot of teams just aren't playing their starters in the preseason now, but. It is a slight concern in the sense that so much of run defense, and we actually heard Bobby Wagner talk about this yesterday, so much of run defense is trusting the guy next to you to, to be where he's supposed to be. And, you know, Bob, he wasn't here last year, but he was sort of commenting on what he thought was part of the issue last year is guys were literally and I guess figuratively going out of their lane to try to make a play because they didn't trust the guy next to them. And when you talk about not playing in the preseason, you know, so much of this is about continuity and trust and, and you're relying on all of that to happen in practice when it's not, you know, completely full speed, it's not tackling to the ground. And so, yeah, there, there is an element of you sort of have to see it to believe it uh, because you didn't see it in the preseason. If the defense is going to work, as you said, Brady, there'll be a lot of nickel and dime, meaning you'll get a lot of smaller, faster guys out on the field. In theory, the upshot of that is, A, you should be really good against the pass, and B, you should come up with a whole bunch of turnovers, and that's what Julian Love said yesterday with Bump and Stacey. Interesting. That's a great... I'm not going to go individual. Uh, I'll go... Defense. Okay, uh, fair. fair. I think we're going to be top five in, in turnovers in the league this year. Love it. Um, that's a mark, I think, with the talent we have is attainable. Uh, I think that's what I see ourselves doing. If they end up top five in takeaways this year, it will make up for quite a bit of whatever problems they have up front stopping the run. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't even know if you can... I don't. It would. It's hard to imagine you being so a team being so good at creating takeaways and so bad at stopping the run. Like the, if if you're really good at one, you're probably going to be pretty good at the other two. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, and, and are they going to lead the league in takeaways? Maybe. I mean, you've got to be really good pass rushing team to do that. And I think this team has a chance to be above average. Uh, again, I you didn't see a lot of those guys play in the preseason, so I've I've sort of got to see it with Draymond Jones. I know they paid him a ton of money. They mm-hmm. obviously think he can be a huge difference maker against the what run did and the pass. What you think about him in practice? I mean, you got to watch him. I know not maybe for the last week, but throughout training camp, you're there every day. There must have been some time you just focused on Draymond Jones as the biggest free agent acquisition Pete and John have ever had. What do you make of him? 
Yeah, and certainly in the one-on-one pass rush drill, that you know he—that's a must-watch just in under any circumstances. But yeah, I had a close eye on him. He looks like a guy who got a lot of money in free agency. But again, I, I can't sit here and say like he looks like he's going to be a Pro Bowler. It's just you, you know seeing it in practice when they're not really you know going at full speed. They're not tackling. It's one thing to see a wide receiver or a cornerback you know make a play in practice, but it's just hard to see to really know what you've got at least for you know a sort of my less trained eye than you know a football coach or a scout or something it's just hard to see linemen and really project what they're going to be when you're seeing them in that setting in practice i mean during the pass rush drill he looked like you know maybe their best he certainly looked like their best interior pass rusher uh, but it's just hard to know. It's it's hard to really know what you're seeing in practice at that so position. So interesting. I mean, I feel like in the past we would go into these seasons with a little bit more confidence, not in the team, but in what we were going to see. And, and I feel like the the essentially the removal of the preseason has taken a lot of that away. And the fact that let's face it, this Seahawks team is the youngest in the league. What is it? Forty three percent of this team yeah. is in their first or second year. I'm going to ask you about that coming up here in a few minutes as well. All right, Brady Henderson's in the building for the next couple of hours as we get ready for Seahawks season on Sunday to get underway. And yes, the Mariners with what I think was the win of the year yesterday. That's the leadoff need to know next. It's Brock and Sox. Salesports on 710, salesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, there's a lot of different types of wins over the course of a baseball season, really any sports season, but I love the one nothing nail biter, and that's certainly what we got yesterday. Just a playoff intensity, a playoff feel to the entirety of that game, starting with the ace on the mound, Luis Castillo. He was awesome. They got a little bit of offense, just enough from Mike Ford. Pitch on the way, swinging a shot off the side of the mound into center field for a base hit. Mike Ford with an RBI single. Here comes Suarez on to score easily from third, and the Mariners have a one nothing lead here in the top half of the second. Yeah, he seemed like at that point there might be more scoring in the game, but there was not. That was it. So it all comes down to the ninth inning, and you're wondering who's going to close this game out, right? Munoz has not been sharp. He's been out there the previous two games. Well, he said he was absolutely ready to give it a go once again. Credit to him. They asked me before the game if I was ready to go there, and I said yes, of course, and uh, I have to thank them for all the help that they give me in this uh, past uh, outings that I have that was tough outings for me and and, and give me the ¿cómo se dice? la confianza confidence. the confidence for for be there in the line tonight Good on him, man. I love that. I, first of all, I just love him doing the interview in English, and when he needs a little help, having his translator around next to him to help him out, that's pretty cool. I don't think he could do that a couple of years ago, so credit to Andres Munoz. But he's absolutely right. When he talks about the help, when he hasn't had his best stuff, well, he got it yesterday specifically from his catcher. Nobody out, bottom of the ninth. The stretch and the pitch, really running. Pitch of the way of ball. The throw down a second by Cal. The tag by JP. And out at second base is Luke Rayleigh trying to steal. Raleigh throws out Rayleigh. How about that? Biggest moment of the game. They don't win, I don't think, if he doesn't do that. So, where are they at? Mariners move back to a half game out in the West. They're tied in the loss column. But just heads up this weekend, it's not going to be pretty. I just want everyone to, like... 
fully brace yourself for the weekend. The Mariners are going to play three more against a very good Tampa team. Texas is going to host Oakland. They stink. Houston is going to host San Diego. They should be good, but they're not. And then Toronto is going to host Kansas City, who we know is feisty, but ultimately not that talented, especially on the pitching side of it. So just beware. Try to be patient. Understand that this will come back around. But this weekend may be a bit of a challenge. George Kirby goes tonight against Taj Bradley. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, I'm not wild about how the injury report got worse for the Seahawks yesterday as they're getting closer to game time. It was supposed to be just Kenny McIntosh and Jamal Adams who weren't practicing. That's what it looked like Wednesday. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of names showed up on that list yesterday. Jordan Brooks, Boye Mafe, who was, you know, not feeling well, but still don't love to see it. And then actually the two that concern me more, Ken Walker with a groin because he's had that problem in the past. And the biggest one for me is actually uh, Damian Lewis more because I don't know how you replace Damian Lewis. If he misses time, that's like the one position they are a little bit weak at. Yeah, I think it would probably be Jake Curran would be the guy to step in there. I think he is their backup guard. Um, But yeah, and, and this is always it always kind of gets tricky to know what to make of, of new injuries that pop up on the injury report on Thursday because we hear from Pete Carroll on Wednesday and then not again until Friday afternoon. So there's no really official word on injuries and how serious or not serious they may be uh, in that, you know, those kind of two days in between. And so um, don't really know what entirely to make of Ken Walker, the third being limited yesterday with the groin. My guess is that because he was limited and he still practiced that it may have just been a precautionary thing just to kind of give him uh, a part of a day off. And, and same with Jordan Brooks. Um, the, the tag on the injury report was not injury-related uh, resting veteran. So it just seemed like a, a rest day for Jordan Brooks. But I agree with you that the one that does at least seem slightly concerning right now is Damian Lewis. Yeah, and look, it's hard to really complain too much. Obviously, the Rams are playing without Cooper Cup, which is a bigger deal than anybody the Seahawks would have to be without. But just something we will watch as we get ready for Game 1 on Sunday. Here's the third thing you need to know. Game one of the NFL season was last night, though, and credit to the Lions. I wanted to see it before I believed it, and they find a way to win the game. I don't know if Jared Goff was like, you know, the savior or anything, and the offense only scored 14 points, but they got a bunch of turnovers specifically because the Chiefs couldn't catch the ball. Yeah, and look, you can poke some holes in in this victory if you wanted to. The Chiefs didn't have their second or their third best player. Chris Jones holding out. Travis Kelsey missed the game with the knee injury. But it's still Patrick Mahomes. It's still the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium. You know, week one coming off the Super Bowl where they're celebrating the Super Bowl. Like that, that's not an easy game to win, uh, even with some of the, the the stars that Casey was missing. I love Dan Campbell going uh, calling the fake punt in the first quarter at their own 18-yard line. I mean, he is one of the gutsier coaches in terms of calling fake punts. I think the graphic was that he's done it like seven times in three years. Um, And, and, you know, I think I would guess that most of those are at midfield or so when you're at that typical territory where you see teams do a fake punt, not backed up uh, inside the other team's red zone. And so uh, credit to Dan Campbell, credit to Jared Goff for getting it done. Uh, that was a, a nice win, even though you could you could maybe poke a couple holes in it. That's Brady Anderson, who is uh, in today for Brock for a couple of hours, and that's everything you need to know. That's everything, Justin, right? Is there anything else that we need to know this morning, or is that is that it? 
Um, something about something something highest paid NFL player oh, of all time. Right, two hundred nineteen yes. million guaranteed. Uh, yes. What's his name again? Uh, I think they call him Burrows or something. Uh, Burrows. Joey, Joey Burrows. Yeah. <laughs> Joey Burrows. I think uh, is the his goat. name. He also goes by the goat. He does. Yeah. I didn't realize he was going by yeah, the he's goat. Goated. Wow. Yeah. I didn't. Is he even re- going to play this week? We'll see. You guys don't have to worry about it. But. You just, they just kind of give. He's fine. You just kind of give that guy a. a yeah, they, give, they name stadiums after him, too, Burrowhead. There's a lot of things he's got going for him right now. I, I do think that is an accomplishment just when you consider how notoriously cheap that franchise yes. has yeah. been for yeah. so many years. And, and I mean, guys will tell you stories about, you know, the the things that they charge for and being ticky tack and stuff. And for them to give, I mean, you figure, look, that contract was always going to make Joe Burrow the highest paid player in NFL history. There was never any doubt about that. But just the fact that that organization got it done, I think that is noteworthy. Well, there was a something, I think it was last year when they, when Paycor bought the naming rights to the stadium, it was like, oh, they're going to need that money. Yeah. Instead of Paycor, they're going to change their name to pay Joe pay Burrow. Joe, yeah. yeah. That seems a, a little bit more accurate about what's going on there. All right. Hey, uh, just want everybody knows this is that time of year with Mariners and Seahawks and everything else. Mariners are taking on Tampa on Sunday. Pre-game coverage is 8 o'clock. First pitch at 10, 10 a.m. That game's going to be on 770 KTTH if you're looking for it because the Seahawks will kick off their season against the Rams. Pre-game coverage at 10 o'clock. Kickoff at 125 here on Seattle Sports. So you can always stream both games if that's how you choose to do it. Both games are free on your phone or tablet with the Seattle Sports app. That's the best way to do it. But uh, yeah, Seahawks will be on 710 and 97.3, and then the Mariners will be on 770 KTTH. All right, we can have all this conversation about the Seahawks and where they're going and what they're doing and some of the youth that they've got now on the defense, et cetera, but there is a guy, and he's potentially available, and he would be an absolutely perfect fit with what the Seahawks need and could conceivably make them a legitimate Super Bowl contender in one fell swoop. Is it possible? Could it get done? And what's the one thing we haven't even thought about yet? Brady Henderson's got answers to all three questions next. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, fun having Brady Henderson in for a couple of hours this morning as we get ready for Seahawks game number one. If we like Brady, we can have him back on other Fridays. So this let's just sort of view this as like a trial like a, run, like a trial run, bit of a test. Are we going to explain uh, what whose shoes is? Because we put it in the email last night, and he's like, "What is that?" And no, then no one responded. Uh, yeah. no, okay, so we're no, just going to make I'm you play a game that blind. you don't know, yeah. right? I, he may have been confused more because I think in the email you referred to him as first Bracy. Yeah, and I then saw Bracey. that later. So I, I could oh, see. I didn't realize. <laughs> Where that. I, I saw the Bracy one. Was the other one me too, or is yeah. that Justin? No, I think it was both. Yeah, it was okay. No. That's I can't right. type. I'm sorry. <laughs> was that like a to autocorrect to Maura, on an? Were you typing that on an iPhone? She can't type on an iPhone. Her fingers are too long for that. So uh, like when Maura starts typing, well, she has to do it for the other room. It's hard to see. <laughs> it's hard to see whether she makes wraps mistakes. Around the door frame and stuff. <laughs> She's not in the same room as the actual screen. So anyway, uh, yeah. If we like Brady, we can have him back a couple well, more times here on, on Fridays. The text line do like the shirt. They do. I will say that. Oh yeah. yeah. People should know what Brady's wearing. If you're watching at SeattleSports.com, this camera? there you go. go. Turn to the camera here. Let's get your microphone out of the way. Hold on a second. There you go. I can't wait till Brock sees that's a that's a Brett the Hitman <laughs> heart shirt, paint black with pink writing. Of course, best there is. Yeah, 
Best yep. there was. 816 says, Brady is a boy born just outside of Calgary and a huge Flames fan. Your shirt is awesome. Yes, Best there ever will be. Thank well, you. When you are the hitman, Brady Henderson, as they, they call him now in Denver, this is what you got to wear, right? I mean, you got you to gotta own up to your reputation. It's called leaning into the bit. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes. It's the opposite of what Brock usually does, which is kill the bit. Yeah. So, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, if you keep doing things like that, you will have you back on more Fridays. All right. That's for sure. All right. I've been talking about this for the last few days. I don't know whether it's a real realistic possibility, but I think it's worth discussing because it leads to a lot of great conversations that are very instructive about how you really feel about this Seahawks team. Chris Jones, one of the best defensive linemen available or out there. I mean, he's one of the best in the league. He's unhappy right now with his contract situation in Kansas City. He's holding out. He didn't play yesterday. They lost the game without him. Would he have made a difference? Who knows? But he's one of the best in the league. And he plays a position, defensive end, in a C- that a Seahawks team absolutely needs. If you were to trade for him tomorrow, he immediately replaces Mario Edwards on the defensive end spot. And all of a sudden, your defensive line is Jaron Reed between Draymond Jones and Chris Jones. And I would argue at that point, you are a Super Bowl contender. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to realize Chris Jones, if it weren't for Aaron Donald, people would be talking about Chris Jones, not in the same way as Aaron Donald, but you'd be talking about him as perennially the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL, which he's been for the past, what, six, five, six And he does it all. He can stop the run. He gets to the passer. And certainly in the kind of 3-4 defense they want to run, he is like built perfectly to play opposite Draymond Jones. So is he available? Hard to say. Right now, the answer is no, but we talked to Carrington Harrison, who is our guy in Kansas City, hosts the show there in the afternoon. He's great, by the way. And he says if he were to be traded, the price might not be quite as high as you think. I actually think that he's worth the second-round pick. I think it's unrealistic to think that you're getting a first-round pick at this stage of the game. I think you could have got the first-round pick back in March or prior to the start of the draft. But if I'm a team, and you also got to think, I mean, Kansas City's not trading him to Cincinnati. They're not trading him to a team that you think is good in the AFC. So, and then in the NFC, if you're a team that doesn't think that you're going to be very good, like if you're Arizona, for example, or if you're Chicago, for example, where you have a first-round pick and you also have Carolina, you might be trading the 11th overall pick for Chris Jones. So I actually think that a second-round pick is probably the right amount of value, and maybe you throw in a second and a five or a second and a four. Kind of interesting. I think most of us would believe that it would take at least a first-round pick, but he's the guy in Kansas City, so I'll at least trust him for now. Or let's say let's go even more conservative and say, all right, cost the first-round pick. If you're the Seahawks, you give up a first-round pick right now today in order to get Chris Jones? Uh, if if all you're talking about is the the draft pick compensation being the impediment, and it, it is the question just do you want to give up a first round pick? Yes, and and I do think that that is the absolute baseline when you consider that Jamal Adams got traded, you know, three years ago for two first round picks and then some, and and I think the rationale from Carrington was that it's after the draft right now, so that the 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 Chiefs wouldn't be able to reap that benefit right until next April. But that was also the case with Adams. Remember, that that trade happened while uh, we were on the golf course (laughs) at Druids Club Golf Course. Number 14 at Druids, yes. In in July, before training camp. So a similar situation there. I just can't see uh, him being traded for anything less than at least one first-round pick and then some. Uh, But but, obviously, it's not just that. It's not just the pick. It's more than that. You've got to pay the guy. He wants to get paid. Yeah, he's in the last year of his deal. Right now, uh, he's set to make, I think, 
$19.5 million this year. And so this is where um, I think this is this is where it gets tricky for the Seahawks. And I'll start this whole soliloquy by telling you a story and I'll, I'll bring it back to why that story is relevant to this situation. So 2013, remember the Seahawks made the big trade for Percy Harvin and not only did that was did that trade not work out on the field it was a fiasco in the locker room as well and that trade caused problems and I'll tell you the story I'll tell you is a quick one it was that one player I'm not going to tell you who but one player that I've talked to said that after the Seahawks traded for Percy Harvin remember they paid him right away they traded for him immediately gave him what at the time was the richest contract uh, in franchise history. Again, that was before they paid Russell Wilson and everything. So, uh, But at the time, it was the biggest contract in team history. That rubbed a lot of guys in that locker room the wrong way. In fact, one of them told me that he marched up to John Schneider's office and said, when it's time to pay me, I'm making more than that guy. And that wasn't even a wide receiver. Okay, And we all know all the issues uh, in that wide receiver room that uh, those guys had with Percy and that Percy had with them, a lot of that was, you know, a lot of that bubbled to the surface because so, Percy Harvin was a volatile player. So let me but, just understand what you're saying here. The the player was a was upset and marched up to the office because I've been here and this guy hasn't. Yes. He just showed up and immediately got paid, and that's not fair. Yeah, and and that was not just that one player who felt that way. That was a lot of players, and mm-hmm. it, and and you know, remember all the issues that. In the receiver room alone, uh, remember there, those guys were fighting. Percy Harvin was fighting with those guys the, two nights before the Super Bowl and beyond that. Now, uh, as I was saying, part of that was that Percy Harvin was just a really volatile guy. But a lot of that resentment, a lot of that tension stemmed from the fact that he got paid. Okay. And a lot of guys who had been there for two, three seasons had not yet gotten paid. And it, and it caused a ton of issues and resentment in the locker room. And I think the Seahawks made a decision after that and said – you know, if if you ever trade for a guy again, you're not going to pay him right away. You're going to make him establish himself in that locker room, prove himself to his teammates, and then he gets paid. So look at the trades that they've made since then. The There's big sort trades. of three more trades that I would put, maybe four in that same category. Jimmy Graham, right? So Jimmy Graham, that was sort of a different scenario. He had three years left on his okay. deal. He so, wasn't getting paid. So that one doesn't count. We'll right. throw that one out. Uh, the next one would probably be Sheldon Richardson. That's what I was going to say. If you want to count Sheldon Richardson, who they didn't pay right away, right? Right. He was he was playing on his fifth year option, uh, and they made him play out that deal and didn't resign him after that season. So yeah, Sheldon based Richardson. Based on what KJ has to say about him. It doesn't sound all that surprising that they chose not to sign him. Right. Uh, so yes, okay, Sheldon Richardson's number two. Number three would be Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown, later that you know, midway through that same year. Remember, Dwayne Brown was holding out uh, from the Texans because he wanted a new deal. He wanted out of that situation. They didn't pay him until the next offseason, right? Mm-hmm. So they made him, you know, come in, play half that season. He gutted it out on a sprained ankle, proved himself to that locker room, played at a high level, and then he got paid. So then go two years after that. Jadeveon Clowney. Oh, Clowney, yeah. Yeah, remember Clowney sure. was playing on the franchise tag. Didn't and he wanted a new a new deal in Houston. They made him play out on what you know, they sort of reworked the contract a little bit, but he didn't get a raise. Uh in fact he I think he even took a slight pay cut maybe to make that trade happen. So they didn't give him a new deal and they didn't end up resigning him after that season. Same thing with Jamal Adams when they traded for him in two thousand twenty. Remember, he played out that the 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 I think he was on his uh, the fourth year of his rookie deal, he played that out, and then he got the new deal next offseason. That's not a coincidence that all that happened. That is the Seahawks saying they're just not going to acquire a guy in a trade and pay him right away uh, before he has really proven himself in that locker room. And so 
the question as we turn it back to Chris Jones is would Chris Jones be willing to do that? And, and my sense is this is different than an Adams situation. Remember, Adams wanted out. He was done. He with didn't that. want to be in New York. Right. He was right. done with that organization. And I think the Clowney. Same is probably true with both Clowney and uh, certainly with Dwayne Brown. Brown. Yeah. I remember Dwayne Brown was right. outspoken against the owner. Because there the Jets who, and the Texans are clown show organizations, whereas right. the Chiefs generally do things right. Right, and and they are, by the way, the reigning Super Bowl champions. And, and look, I think look no further for evidence that this is a different type of situation. Chris Jones, you know, they had that charity function the other day. He shows up to the charity function. If a guy is so hell-bent mm-hmm. on getting out and he's there's so much bad blood there, he's probably not going to do that. So I just look at this as a totally different situation than the situations where the Seahawks have traded for guys in the past. And I, I would be... I just don't know if he would be if he's so willing to get out of Casey that he would be willing or so uh, wanting to get out of Casey that he would be willing to play out the final. Yeah, that stuff all makes sense. Let's say he was. Let's say this gets worse over the course of the next few weeks. And the Chiefs say, yeah, we did it with Tyreek Hill and it worked out just fine. We're going to do it with Chris Jones as well. And we're going to keep building this thing. And we're going to be Belichickian about all of this. and We're just not going to pay this guy. Now let's come, like, what do you do if you're the Seahawks? Let's say he is willing to do that. He, he'll, he's willing to wait until the end of the year to sign a deal. How how far are you willing to go? The question for me, look, second round pick, done. And I'm willing to oh, pay yeah. him. Second and fifth, done. I'm willing to pay him. Second this year and first next year, done. I would absolutely do that. In fact, I think I would do it in a heartbeat. Give them a second round pick in the upcoming draft and a first round pick in the final, in the next one. Yes. The question for me is only about the first round this upcoming year. And the only reason that one stands so so large for me and different from all the others is just listening to Brock tell me that they're going to be upwards of 10 quarterbacks that are going to be in this year's draft, many of whom are going to be legitimate first round picks. And unless you are sure, confident that Geno Smith's the guy to bring you forward for the next however many years, five, seven years, that's hard for me, and, I, and and maybe it shouldn't be. Like, I like Gino. This isn't like an anti-Gino conversation. But you're going to bet the house on bet the farm on Gino Smith being your quarterback for the next six, seven years? That's hard for me to That's hard for me to do when there's a possibility of getting the next guy on a rookie contract next year. Yeah, and, and they the contract that they signed him to tells everybody that they have not bet the farm on him. They, they paid him a good chunk of change, $75 million. I think the opportunity to make, what is it, $105 million over mm-hmm. the three years with the, the um, incentives or the escalators uh, more specifically. But remember, that contract is structured in a way that they can get out of it after one season with reasonable cap penalties if they so choose. I think the other thing, and people are going to roll their eyes when they hear this, but this organization really does like Drew Locke, too. Um, and they feel like he is still a starting caliber player, and they're not giving up on him, on the idea that he could be, you know, if Geno Smith were to falter, that he could be the guy. They still feel very highly about him. And so, um, you know, the other part about the, the quarterback conversation, if that draft class is so loaded, you know, some of those guys are probably going to fall to the second round, and you might be able to get. Uh, I know quarterbacks; it usually tends to work the other way, mm-hmm. where quarterbacks who are really like second round talents end up going in the first round. But if it's so loaded, you know, that maybe there's only so many teams who are going to need a quarterback. Maybe you do end up getting a guy like that after the. So first how far round. would you go? How far? Would you, I mean, because really, it's about like if there's a chance to win a Super Bowl, don't you have to like find and explore every opportunity to make that happen? Boy, it, it, and I just can't imagine. Uh, I still think that it's 
to a two first round pick situation. When okay. you look at what other stud defensive players, and I'm not talking about Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey went for a lot less than that, but he was coming off a down season. Chris Jones had what 16 and a half sacks last year. Plays a premium position. Um, look, if so, okay. So back to what you know. How realistic is it? If it's only a only a first round pick, yeah, you really got to look hard into that. Now, the other impediment for Seattle, and I think for any other team, is the fact that he's got kind of a oddball contract. Okay, and so most contracts they have a big signing bonus, and you account for a lot of the overall money via the signing bonus. For whatever reason. He did not get a signing bonus in his last contract, and as a result, he's got a hugely high base salary in this final season. It's $19.5 million. There aren't a lot of teams who can just absorb a $19.5 million uh, salary. Now, th- there's certain things you could do. You could um, you know, you convert it to a signing yeah, bonus. Yeah, you could do some of that, but even then, you know, yeah, so th- th- that's not something. as big of a, of a potential impediment. Something. You can always do something, but that is that takes a lot of something to to pretty interesting to take on a nineteen and a half right. million dollars. Well, I'm not done thinking about this, and every time a week goes by with him not playing in Kansas City, I'm going to keep watching this to see whether or not it's a real possibility here in Seattle. That's Brady Henderson at 7:45. It's time for Blue 88. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Song. No, Brock is here for Blue 88, straight from the mean streets of Iowa. What's going on, man? Gorgeous Ames, Iowa, this morning, and good word, Brady. Impediment. I think I gotta. I gotta add that to my to my repertoire. I like impediment. That's a good word. Thanks, Brock. You can't see Brady right now, but he's wearing a Brett the Hitman heart shirt. I'll send you a picture oh. of it, Brock. Oh, that looks good. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's pretty entertaining. I'm not gonna Perfect. lie. All right, Brock. Uh, three good football questions. Let's start here with question number one. Seahawks with a whole bunch of new names showing up on the injury report yesterday. Concern? Good news? Bad news? No news? Well, today's is going to be obviously a lot more important because today they will get back out there and then they will give kind of a, a game designation for what we're looking at. I, the one thing that struck me was a conversation I had with some of the people with the Seahawks this offseason. And just and we talked about this, Salk, just the timing of these OTAs in many camps and then all this downtime and then you ramp back up and there's a hamstring and there's a groin and there's a hamstring. And, you know, this was kind of a, a, a mini break with the way that it's now set up in the NFL with no fourth preseason game, those guys get quite a bit of a downtime, a Friday, a Saturday, a Sunday. They get a little bonus Monday and then a Tuesday off. And I don't know, it just led my mind to wonder, is there is there a better way of doing this? Because I hate to see these soft tissue injuries. And Ken Walker, probably the biggest, that golly, I want that groin to go away. I do not want that to be, in Brady Henderson's words, an impediment this season for him. So um, today will be a much bigger day. I am not going to overreact. Let's see how full Ken Walker and some of the other guys can be that were limited yesterday after being full go on Wednesday. But is that a, is that great news? Absolutely not. You want everybody to the starting block, 100% full go, 100% participant, especially week number one. All right, question number two. All right, Brock, week one matchups outside of Seahawks-Rams, of course. Which one intrigues you the most? You got Jets-Bills. 
It'll be uh, Aaron Rodgers' debut in New York. Raiders, Broncos, Patriots, Eagles, Cowboys, Giants, 49ers, Steelers, Dolphins, Chargers. Which one do you like? There's a bunch of intriguing ones. From a QB standpoint, the Rodgers-Allen will be awesome. From a Seahawks standpoint and from a radio show host standpoint i'm gonna be i'm gonna be watching that game in western pennsylvania what does san francisco look like against pittsburgh can kenny pickett continue to deliver and he's had a tremendous offseason a great preseason george pickens his receiver is one of the young kind of unheralded dynamic dudes in this league that wants to make a name and say hey man I, i'm the next great i'm the next julio jones i'm the next one so watching Watching that game in Western PA, how healthy is Brock Purdy? How, how good is that offensive line? San Fran loses their right tackle and Mike McGlinchey. How does that new right tackle block T.J. Watt in that building? I played with the Colts in there a bunch, with the Seahawks in there a bunch. It was the old, uh, golly, I think it was Three Rivers, uh, I believe. Yep. That's Cincinnati. Three no, Rivers? You're right, Three Rivers. Yeah, I, I was in there. Probably every year in my NFL career, it felt like, and that is a tough, tough place to play. A long trip for San Francisco. Bosa gets his deal done. How much does he play? So aside from the Seahawks game, I don't think there's any question as far as how it relates to our market and our team and our radio show. My eyes will be on Pittsburgh and San I mean, Frank. first of all, yes, three rivers in Pittsburgh. You're thinking of Riverside Stadium. Riverfront. Stadium. Riverfront, excuse me, that was in Cincinnati. Brock, that's the wrong answer, though. Okay, thanks, Mike. <laughs> I mean, you can talk Jets, Bills, you can talk Niners, Steelers, but we all know that from a radio show host perspective, the most interesting matchup is Raiders-Broncos, and the fact that you would even think about anything else is completely uh, absurd. Eh, Raiders are terrible. Don't they're they're going to be well, sad. And then think about how entertaining it will be when they beat the Broncos. <laughs> question number not. three. Okay, okay. Right, question number three. Hey, question number three, Salk. Yeah. What are those three rivers that one run through downtown Pittsburgh. Oh, I know this. The Mississippi, the Missouri, and the Chattahoochee. No, it's the Ohio, the, the Allegheny, and the Amongahela. And, and the Amongahela. Woo! Way to go, hit man. There you go. Actually, I'm, I'm not just I'm a hit man. But the Mississippi, Missouri, and the Tallahatchie is funnier. <laughs> <laughs> and the Nile, and the Amazon. The yeah. Columbia, the they Nile. all run into Lake Titicaca. The Yankee River. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the, the Danube. Yep. The, the Rhine and the Rhone. Yeah, yeah. we can go through rivers. Uh, we can go rivers rank Euphrates. Oh, yeah, but, but you're naming actual rivers right now. That's not what you would do if you. Well, did of course, rank. you have River Phoenix River too. Yeah, River Squamo. Have <laughs> you ever ranked Joan Rivers? I think we, we have ranked rivers, rivers actually. Yeah, yeah I think we've actually done that. River runs through. Brock, Philip Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> Brady loves it. Brady's all in on ranked. By the way, <laughs> question number three, Brock. Let me play you some yeah. Russell Wilson sound. I'm used to uh, uh, some of those some of those who believe and some of those who doubt. I mean, I think that when you're. Um, you know, you're playing high, high stakes and playing, um, and, you, and you, you know, dream to be the, the best that you can possibly be every day. Um, there's always going to be people that question whether you can do it or not. And I think I've proven that, you know, throughout my career, what I can do. And uh, I got to do it again. And that's just, that's just the name of the game. Every time I step into the white lines, there's always something to, to show, there's something to prove. It's not about me, but it's just, you know, it's, it's really about us, you know, playing at the highest level and winning for this organization. Well, Brock. Yeah. Is that a guy yeah. who's got it now and is taking accountability? I don't know. I don't know. All, I, <laughs> all I know is anytime we play sound, I just think of Jonathan Gannon first and foremost. <laughs> and like and like one of our texters said in that speech that Gannon gave, it felt like five different things that he was pulling from <laughs> to try to make it all sound sane. And when I listen to Russ there, that thing goes like five different directions. 
you know, it's like, well, you know, I got my dad. Well, I don't have my dad. Or, well, I've done it before. Well, you know, I could still do it. Like, he just, it's word salad. And, and now, quite honestly, there's a big difference and a big filter, and that is Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. Because you know, and he knows that Sean Payton is looking and listening and watching everything that he does. So, you know, Russell was always, as Brady knows, he, he was, you know, many press conferences. He was always a word salad. But now it feels like that salad has got like the Sean Payton breadcrumbs weighing it down. And it's just going to be imposing and all over him all season long. All right. So, yeah, it will be. You're right. Entertainment value, it will be there. Football value, they have nothing to do with the Seahawks this season. No draft pick, no anything else over there in the AFC. There actually still is one. It's like a third round. Yeah, third round still. pick. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, for this up, 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 oh okay. We'll go Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That is today's Blue 88. Yeah, it's so funny with Russ playing that sound and, and especially here, you know, reading what Gannon's or what Gannon, what uh, what what Peyton said about him in the Seth Wickersham article this week. It's like it, it's I don't think I could think of a player who I listened to speak for as long as we did every single week of every single season. And yep. now I hear it, and it's like the cringe factor is so high. I almost can't make it through a 20-second Russell Wilson cut. That's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And it makes you wonder, was it always that way? And were we just kind of blinded by victory and winning? And- I mean, the victory and the winning kind of makes up for a lot of that cheesiness, right? I mean, look, if Jonathan Gannon wins, we'll forget about the— Welcome back. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Who drove over here? Yeah. Okay, enough. Stop. Stop it. Enough. Here's the thing about Jonathan Gannon and that sound. I like to imagine that whenever he's speaking to his group, that that sound effects are playing in the background. That every time Jonathan Gannon gives a speech, he's like, all right, everybody, huddle up. All right, here's what we want to do this weekend, boys. Here's what I I got for you. Like he's got Seth Meyers. He's got not Seth Myers. He's got Jason uh, Siegel from uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall there, just like creating o- ominous Dark sounds, and ominous tones every time he says. <laughs> was was that worse than the Andy Dalton trying to get his teammates pumped up? Yes. Ooh, ooh, yes. Ooh, yes. Have you guys played that sort of co- to compare oh, one oh, to the other? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. not back and forth, but I, I don't need to. I know full well that Andy Dalton, while sort of cheesy. Like was accepted and liked by his teammates. Okay, let's go. Game changers on three. Who drove over here? <laughs> Wait, let me see hands. Who took the ball? Okay, hold on. Hold on. Stop it. You know, to your point, do you remember how horrible and cringy and terrible Nick Sirianni's opening press conference was? No. That's it probably the point. Bad. Yeah. Well, that's oh, probably the point. Was- I don't remember it. That's exactly right, because he's gone on and win and got a team to a Super Bowl. But his mm. was this cringy. If you go back and find it, Interesting. it was as awkward and cringy as that dude. So, yeah, winning is all a lot twisted. of problems. Okay, we're here for a reason to win games. <laughs> so if you didn't have that fire in your gut, you better light the fire pretty fast. You better light that pilot light, Brock. It's time. All right, go, go enjoy. Go. I, I, Whatever I, it takes. Let's get it. Playmakers on three. One, two, three. Playmakers. All right. One, two, three. We are done. Brock, go have fun at Iowa, Iowa State. We'll talk to you Monday. All right. See you, boy. Monongahela, Brock. Yes, Monongahela. Monongahela. All right. Brady's back. We're going to play Whose Shoes, which Brady has never done before. We'll see how he does. This is a huge, huge confidence booster, Brady, if you can pass Whose Shoes. So you're going to want to stick around here at next. Brock and Salt Sales Sports on 710.